elegant weapon for a more civilized age. Gentlemen, welcome to an elegant weapon. This is episode 414. Before I get into this episode, I need to apologize for episode 413. If you happen to listen to that episode, uh, I recorded with our good friend Anthony Rutgazer over at the Handsome Genius Club, and we did a little bit of cross pod. Uh, in the past, I have recorded with Anthony through my phone, and the recordings always seem to work out okay. This time in particular, that was not the case. Um, I sounded awful, kids, and I'm so sorry if you sat through that conversation. I kind of hope that you did because it was such a good conversation. That's the only reason I've posted it is uh, because I thought the chat itself was super duper cool. Um, we had a good time. So if you can bear through the fact that it sounds like I'm on a phone outside next to a train track, which I kind of was, um, please listen and please enjoy. Um, but I wasn't going to waste the conversation. So you can hear it there. Check it out. You can also hear it on Anthony's feed. Uh, that was good times geeking out. Uh, but now we have returned to the studio and uh, we are back on to the laptop. So hopefully things uh, come out a little smoother in this situation. This week, kids, is a, a bit of a part two to a previous episode. Um, not necessarily a part two to the actual creator, but a part two to the creative team of a very cool book called Checkmate Blues. Uh, this time around, uh, we've got the writer. Last we had the artist, our good friend Keith. Grachow. Uh, and now we're sitting with Mr. Robert Ivanyuk. 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 It was pretty close, right? Ivanyuk. Yeah. Everybody gets it wrong. It's one of those weird Ukrainian names, right? So. Well, also online, you go under Ro uh, Robert, I know. Yep. And uh, that just sticks in our heads. You know what I mean? There's a lot of people I know that I actually I can't help but call them by their handle because their handle just sticks in my head way easier than their names do. Right? I hear you. I hear you. I just like, yeah, I just switched it to that just because I thought I'd have some fun with just calling myself like Robert. I know so that people could say, oh, yeah, that Robert, I know. Or they would say if they like switch it around, then it could be like, I know Robert or I know Robert. Like, <laughs> I like that. Robert, I know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've never read it that way before. Now it's like, I'm going to read it in my head and I'm going to chuckle every time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, not to get all crazy or heavy right off the bat, but as you just mentioned, you're of Ukrainian descent. Um, how's that situation for you? Do you have family currently over there or? No, my my dad was born in Winnipeg. Uh, my both sides of his family fled like the the old country long before okay. uh, any of that went down. Um, so I don't know if we have any relatives uh, back out there. Um, it's been really weird, though, because like I'll go to a, a bank or I'll go to like a medical appointment or something and people will look at my last name and they go, what kind of name is uh, is Ivanuk? And I'd go, well, it's it's Ukrainian. And they'd look at me and they'd say, 
oh my God, oh my God, are you okay? And I'm like, I'm fine. (laughs) I'm okay. Like you should be worrying about them. It's also been really weird. Like I do appreciate the support. Like I do like seeing people flying the the Ukraine flags, but I mean, I do, there is that little like thing that kind of tugs at me and kind of goes like, I didn't see any Syrian flags when like the, when the civil war was going on, or I didn't see any Nigerian flags flags when you know kids were getting kidnapped by Boko Haram in 2014 so it's like it's it's kind of nice that to to get that but it's also like we need to extend this to like Hmm. everyone in the world is going through like a global crisis right yeah I'm not sure what made this one so stand out maybe it was you know because of Russia but I mean they've done it recently enough in the past but there was something about this one maybe it was Ukraine's defiance I don't know but you're right. There's, you know, this has been happening and not, you know, in the super far past frequently in the world. And yeah, for some reason, this one stuck out, but there's a, there's a lot of oppression going on, man. It's a scary time. Yeah. It's not great. We don't like it. Here we are in our safe little Canadian bubble though. Yeah. Just trying to have fun and make comics and maple syrup and do what yeah. we can. Right. I'm, I'm out here in my bell tower surrounded by crows, like just sort of <laughs> gazing down at people like, uh, there you are. How that, that looks awful. Good luck with that. <laughs> so you mentioned your dad's born in Winnipeg. Where are you created? I was born in Toronto, born and raised, born and raised in the city in the city dude that's crazy there's very few of you guys that i meet like most most people who are in toronto came from somewhere even if it was just on the outskirts like etobicoke or scarborough or whatever but you're like midtown like bread yeah yeah like we're we're a middle class family that got into the area when it when a musician and a video editor could just buy a house in toronto like if my parents tried to find a spot like current day maybe they could get a two-bedroom right for rent right but yeah and it's been crazy for us because like you know our street in particular you know we've got neighbors that have built their houses up we're seeing more people with minivans move in and we're all just kind of sitting there like hmm I went to a restaurant this week. I mean, that was pretty fancy. (laughs) Right, right, right. Yeah, it's crazy how things are changing, man. But like, it must have been weird to grow up like a Degrassi kid, like hopping streetcars and and, and playing in the subway. Was it like... Oh, yeah, yeah. Like lunches in Chinatown with my buddies, Um, like, you know, going downtown. Like, I remember my brother and I, uh, when we were in high school, um, there was like this anime club that was being hosted out of like Ryerson University. And, you know, getting on the subway and just like with some of our friends and uh, some people that we met there and just like gawking at all of the like, you know, the, the lights and the sights and the sounds and everything of just like the hustle and the bustle of the downtown, you know, that stuff really like sticks with you. I mean, I've, yeah, and you see all, you've seen all kinds like, you know, down here, you know, I've, I've seen like fights spill out of an arcade, like onto the street, you know, I've seen almost <laughs> people peeing in bus shelters like the whole nine yards right i always get curious about city kids like did you ever get out of the city because i spent most of my summers up in muskoka right like i i, I grew up in st Catharines, small little like gm town right 
And, but I, I spent all my summers going up North and did like, were you ever, did you get out of the city as a kid? Like we, we always tried to, right? Like, I mean, um, I, uh, you know, we went to visit my family in Winnipeg when I was in high school, my mother brought me over to England to see uh, her family. Cause she's from Brighton and well, she grew up in Bexhill on sea. Uh, so I'd been out there a couple of times and I've traveled around to like, you know, places like, you know, Barrie and Moncton and stuff like that. Um, a lot of my summers in high school and university were spent like, you know, in and around like the GTA though. Uh, right but on. I did have like, when I was in university, I did spend a month in Costa Rica just to like learn the language oh, a bit. Cool. Yeah. That was a lot of fun. That was fun. What, what did you take in university? I was a humanities major. Really? What does that mean? <laughs> uh, I it's it's like a general arts degree. Uh, the focus of my studies was the interrelationship between uh, media and culture. Oh. So looking looking at stuff like how Arthurian legends uh, influenced um, like concepts of chivalry in Western Europe, or how like the tale of Genji influenced like the past thousand years of Japanese storytelling, um, which makes me absolutely useless in the mar- in the workplace essentially <laughs> yeah, well i don't know I, I would see that maybe adding a certain kind of skill to be able to draw and be familiar draw from and be familiar with like uh, i guess a historical context of media these days and how yeah. it can flow and ebb and and because like you're right like that makes me think of like is this a good example like like the vikings wore horns which we know they didn't wear horned helmets, but somehow through plays and operas, you know, mm-hmm. it influenced society enough that we we just, you know, as kids growing up watching Looney Tunes figured that Vikings yeah. had horns, right? Because it, it made them look more devilish, I think was the, the idea. Um, it made them look more like sinister because the Vikings would do stuff like, because I, I learned this in university. I don't know if this is true. Historians don't get at me. Uh, <laughs> But um, the story that I heard when I was in uni was that part of Viking culture was that it, you could just walk into someone's house and just take something of theirs and just be like, I'll bring this back. And then like, you maybe you maybe <laughs> won't see that ladle again or whatever. And then when they started going like, like not even on raids or whatever, like even if they just went to England and they walked into a church and they saw a big old cross, they were like, Ooh, what's that? And then they would just take it on a longboat and leave. Like, <laughs> Mine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's the bag, Bjorn. <laughs> so you said your parents were a musician and a yeah. and a what? Like a, like a video editor and audio oh, right. editor like that. Yeah. Like my my dad was in a few bands. Um, he was in like Wild Rice, uh, and then he he met my mom uh, when she was working at the CBC. Um, they worked on. Uh, Sesame Street together, actually. Shut up. No, I won't. That is incredible. That's absolutely so romantic for some reason. I guess just because our generation and we were raised on Sesame Street like no other generation, but like, but that your parents, oh, that's, that's, that's a sweet thing. Did they, did they have lots of memories? Did you get lots of stories about all those days growing up? Yeah, I mean, like, I've, I've definitely heard some stuff from, like, you know, behind the scenes at the CBC, um, you know, like, my dad told me about, you know, him showing up in, you know, like, jeans and a leather jacket with, like, you know, long hair going down to the small of his back, and then, 
you know, my, my mother who's, you know, grandparents fought in world war two and came from a very, like, um, I would say almost like a military background, but she definitely had like a bit of a free spirit to her, um, you know, saw him come in, you know, Gibson over his shoulder and was like, <laughs> hello there. <laughs> oh, that's awesome, man. So you, you have a creative upbringing. So, you know, yeah. I, I, was this in you from, you know, a young age? Were they very encouraging? Like lots of crayons, yeah. And yeah. lots of creativity? I mean, a little bit. Yeah. Just because like, um, like I, well, especially because like, you know, like my dad always liked, you know, doodling on noodling on the guitar and like coming up with like nonsense songs for, for me and my brother when we were growing up. Um, so there was always like that encouragement from my father's side to pursue um, the arts in, in some way. Um, my mother being the more practical one um, was always the one who was like, cause you know, she had seen all types working at working all over the place. Like there were a lot of, like, you know, for, for every Stephen King, there's like 50 guys that, you know, basically just died at their typewriter before they could get anything <laughs> published. Right. 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 So she was always like, just so you know, if you really want this, you really got to fight for it. Right. Um, I don't want to see you like burn out and get cynical and miserable or, or whatever. And I was like, fair. Like, it's great. You had that balance and that she knew enough and wasn't scared to instill you with that kind of advice at an early age, you know? Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. And in, in that very, in that very like, you know, British way that some people that, you know, <laughs> encourage their kids, right. Where it's just that sort of that, that sort of like that, that hard truth. Right. To, to encourage. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, when, when do you begin writing then? I mean, I'd been storytelling for a while. Um, I, I guess officially, I guess I started in like, I started like writing out stuff in like MS Word and stuff back when I was in high school. Okay. Um, but um, I, this is like, so my trajectory for my creative side was that I originally wanted to be like, a comic creator. Like I wanted to do like, you know, my own art and stuff but um i didn't really have like the patience to really like sit and learn anatomy and um landscape and stuff and or uh, not landscaping uh like horizon lines and stuff like right. that yeah. at, the, at the time at least so what about what happened was when i was at finishing uh high school uh my friend handed me a copy of neverwhere and was like well it's this novel by neil Amen. Okay. It's basically about um, the sort of like fantasy London, essentially, um, with all of the different like, you know, clans and um, tribes of like homeless people living like below the, the surface. It's, it's a wild ride. It sounds cool. Um, yeah, it's a really great book. And I remember reading that and just being absorbed into it. And I was like, dang, I think I want to be a writer. <laughs> like, nice. I think I want to like focus on the craft. So I'd been sort of like, I was noodling off and on with it for a while. And then I caught my break in like 2011. Um, my buddy, Marco Attard, uh, who um, is currently like editing stuff for me for my, um, my WordPress page. Um, he uh, was part of this magazine in Malta called Schlock magazine. <laughs> and I, uh, and I tried submitting some stuff to them and I got rejections, but they gave me some really good feedback. So 
I wrote this story for them and it got accepted. And I was like, and after this was after like, like I had been submitting stuff to publishers at that point since like 2007. Oh yeah. And, oh yeah. Like I, I, I just kept you know they just kept tossing them in the bin just and just like nah there's it's not there it's not there you can't uh, plug and add it though yeah i just kept at it because mm. i was like i think i'm onto something because i i i mean maybe it was me sort of tooting my own horn like i saw something in my own stuff. hey you had confidence in your abilities man nothing wrong with that you know and you were able to deal with rejection well enough that you were like screw that i'm gonna keep going like that's that's awesome that's that's a <laughs> That's a healthy mind and attitude to go into this kind of work with, man. <laughs> I appreciate that. A lot of people learn that the hard way. You know that. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, like, yeah. yeah, I've heard some like all kinds of horror stories of like rejections. Uh, there was I forget who told me this one, but there was like a guy who brought his portfolio up to this like uh, artist at a convention or something or some like some some big time editor for like Marvel or DC or one of those. And he was like flipping through the pages and the guy and the, the editor said something to the artist, like, have you considered a different career? <laughs> like, you know, like maybe window washer or something. And it was just like, wow. Like I cannot imagine getting that rejection letter. Um. Uh, Jay, your your audio cut out. Shit. Oh, am I there now? Yeah, you're there now. I literally just turned my mic off. That's funny. It's a new one for me, kids. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> what was I saying? I don't even remember. But that's, uh, yeah, the rejections is, uh, you got to be able to handle that stuff. And it's such a harsh word in itself, rejection. But it's not so much a rejection as a, not yet most of the time you know you just haven't hit the thing and like you you keep sticking with it eventually something's gonna stick and something's gonna work for somebody you know that's exactly it right yeah yeah so what was the first thing that worked for you what did you have first published the first story i had published was a little post-apocalypse comedy called pass the can which was about uh two scavengers in an abandoned store fighting over the last can of tuna in the world awesome <laughs> what was that published in uh, that was in Schlock. Oh, okay. All right. Uh, yeah. My other stuff was published in like from there, that was sort of like the first uh, stone uh, that rolled down the hill. And then the the avalanche started coming because I started getting jobs at like, I was at BlogTO for about a couple of years after that. Uh, uh, I had two short stories published in uh, this British publication called uh, Alchemy Press. Okay. Uh, in two different like anthologies. Uh, I did another story for Schlock and I also helped Marco with this sort of uh, pop culture review blog he did at the time called Pop Culture Destruction. Um, I worked with a local publication called Arch Enemy. Uh, a couple of friends of mine and I started up a production company called Aquarium Entertainment in like 2015. Jeez. We basically dissolved. Uh, we just did like three short films, put them on YouTube. And then like my director went back to Japan, my main actor just sort of started pursuing other things um the big thing that i got published in um was back in 2014 um this was like the, the first like big big break of of mine which was uh i wrote this short story for an anthology called long hidden 
which was by Cross Genres Publications, edited by Rose Fox and uh, Daniel Jose Older. Uh, basically, the the premise of Long Hidden was that they they wanted to do historical fantasy and historical sci-fi, but they said we we're really tired of retellings of Arthurian legends. Um, we want to see stuff from like India and Jamaica and Kenya and stuff like that. Or if we're going to tell them in, if we are going to tell them like in North America or Western Europe, give us a perspective that we're not used to seeing. So my short story, D.U., was about a, an exiled Buddhist monk from China working on the Canada Pacific Rail, uh, dynamiting out a crashed alien prison ship. Cool. Thank you. Wow, man. I had I had no idea you've done so much, man, that you'd been uh, so busy and prolific. That's crazy. And I've known you for a while. It just goes to show how there's so much out there to have to fucking to learn about. God damn. Yeah, because it's my own fault. I'm really bad at selling myself like I, I don't just like fly under the radar like I, I crawl through the roots covered in like uh, camo and occasionally I'll just like <laughs> nail a manuscript to a door in a nearby village and run away like that's sort of my that's sort of i i'm, I'm very stealthy about it um right yeah are you creative in your day job like no, no i work at a i work at a university i guess i'm creative in the way i like handle certain things but um i've always sort of had an interest in working in like the public sector and that's been sort of because because it's like if i'm gonna do this then I kind of want to feel like I'm setting something right in the world, I guess. Yeah. Uh, so it's a truck going by. I don't even I, hear it. <laughs> yeah. I got a window open, so I'm hearing all the traffic outside. Well, um, that's cool, though, that you're sticking to your to your heart's desires there, you know, and you're following your, you know, yeah, your, I mean, your own moralities in life. That's how it should be done. <laughs> yeah well because i mean because this is the thing i mean and we've known quite a few people that have done that like we know plenty of like illustrators uh wherever who you know work at restaurants or libraries or um wherever right so it's because i mean you you do need to like be out there a bit yeah. right you do yeah. need to like step away from the craft to like you know see how other people are and to like be in the world a little bit i mean i do kind of wish that i I could do like creative stuff full time, but the oh, but don't we all though, right? Like, yeah, that's the, <laughs> that's, that's the dream. That's yeah. the dream. Like, everyone wants like everyone wants that book deal, right? But, Absolutely. I mean, yeah, mm. I mean, for me though, like, I mean, I kind of burned out in like 2016 because I had a couple more publications, and then I tried going full time with my writing. And I just kept like hitting a brick wall, like over and over again. And like my rent went up twice and um, like I got fitted with a bill for some repairs in my building for like things I don't even use. Right. I didn't, at the time I was like, well, what do I, what the hell do I do? So I was trying to like really scramble. So yeah. it kind it's of a hard started. life, man. Yeah, it's, it's, it truly yeah. is starving artist if you're gonna go yeah, that way. Exactly. Right? Like I, I remember, I had one day where I was looking in my fridge and I was going, "Man, there is nothing here." And for like breakfast, oh. lunch, and dinner, 
I just had a bowl of shreddies. Oh, oh that's sad. <laughs> yeah, it was bad, man. It was a 2016 was a bad year for a lot of people, but definitely for me, I was feeling it. Like I uh you know, it's been a rough past few years. I don't even remember 2016. It's hard to remember anything <laughs> pre-pandemic at this point. Um it's yeah, right. Like it's like two years just didn't even happen. It's it's such a weird thing. But I have so much respect for people who can be a professional artist or writer or whatever and be able to manage their time and their life and their budgets and their finances. And because it's a such a hard thing to do. You got to be your own accountant unless you're such a successful enough creator that you can hire an accountant. There's just yeah. so much that goes into you having to be responsible for yourself when you choose to create for yourself as yeah. a profession, you know, it's, I definitely learned that the hard way. Cause I moved, I moved into self-publishing back in 2018 just to like work on like, you know, lo- work more with like local people. Right. And yeah, I remember like working on a comic with uh, John Berg, like him and I did a couple of horror comics together and he was asking me, you know, cause he's a professional, like he's been at this for a while. Like he knows the answers to all these like questions, but he was saying, but I remember like him and I were chatting and he was like, so what's going to be our plans for like distribution and all, and all this other stuff. And I just sort of blue screened right in front of him. I was like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, it's a task. It's been fun to like watch certain people over the years. Like, you know, like Jay Fosgett, Jay Fosgett always comes to mind, you know, and he's been able to be a professional artist and buy a home and, you know, do all the things you do and live a life and travel. And it just, it amazes me. And, you know, don't think he's not crazy stressed out all the time about it, but oh, you know, he shows that it's possible and it's, it's just, it's cool. You know, you work hard enough and keep your ducks in line. You can, you can pull it off. Yeah, no. And I, and here's the thing. I, I've never met Jay Fosgett proper, but I've seen a lot of his work on social media. Nonsense. Like- There's no way. What do you mean? How does, how does that work? You've come to enough shows in Toronto over the years and he's always been at them. My part, he's been at my parties at the lucky Clover. And I know you have been too. How does that, I, I may have like made eye contact with him a couple of times, but I don't think I've ever like properly sat at a table, but you know what bet next time he's next time he's in TO it's or just, in the GTA. It's just, that's what I do, man. I just figure everyone I know, knows each other at this point and this just shows that i haven't been doing my due diligence but i guess you know sure we had a pandemic in there but yeah that just amazes me i can't even believe it yeah we'll have to rectify and remedy that situation um yes, which sir. i'm sure jay won't mind at all but uh you know what he's gonna do he's gonna uh, i'll introduce you through your your parental sesame street heritage and that's just gonna make him lose his mind and he's gonna be like no way and he's gonna want to hear all about that shit so grabbing uh me by, grabbing me by the collar like can you make me into a muppet nice right so how did you learn to write was it through the process of try trial and error or have you been educated did have you taken any courses like how did yeah that- it was a little- Trial and error. It was a lot of putting my stuff in front of friends of mine that I knew would um, come at it with sort of a straight razor, as opposed to just that usual thing that a lot of friends would do where they would just kind of pat you on the back and say, hey, you did good, man. Um, and then they just read when all they read is like the first page. Um, right. right. I, like, yeah. I, I had friends who were very like some of my friends are very like critical. They will like sit down and just like pull out a red pen and just be like, 
no, this doesn't make any sense. Why did you do that? Um, I remember actually the first time I wrote a comic script, it was with a buddy of mine, my buddy, Sam, uh, he, um, he's working in advertising now, but like, he also like a brilliant, uh, illustrator and him and I were like thinking of coming up with a one shot back when we were both about, I think 20, 20 years old. And I was like, I never written a comic script before. So I'm going to try and like, you know, scroll this out myself. And I, I sent him the word file and, uh, and he said to me, he, got back to me like a week later and he said so first off the story is fine it's it's serviceable we can work with this there's just one problem and i said what's up he said i'm going to kill you all of your panels have like five actions in them you need to pick one (laughs) (laughs) nice yeah and I, i always remembered that where it's just like okay fair (laughs) well that critical you know the critical critiques that that's very important you got to be able to take that too right yeah because i never did any of like the writing courses or boot camp courses or anything i'm i'm all self-taught awesome so yeah just comes out of the natural passion to want to do it eh yeah and and to want to get it right as well yeah right right do you, uh, like how long are your stints? Like how do you write nightly? Do you write daily? Do you ch- set out a chunk of time or does it just come to you? Um, the mood. I would say, I mean, so what I try to, I mean, what I used to do when I burned out was I tried doing it every day because I guess like, you know, in the arts, we're not immune to that sort of like hustle culture, uh, rise and grind sort of thing. Uh, like we're, we're still sort of like inundated with that, I guess, where it's just like, you have to do it every day. You got to do it every day. Whereas I'm more like, I will make the time for it. And like, usually my time is weekends. Um, but sometimes I'll do it, you know, evenings as well. If I've got, you know, the energy for it, you know, provided I wasn't, you know, completely knocked around by spreadsheets during the day. Right. Um, but, uh, so for me, um, and I also try to give myself days where I'm just not doing anything creative, uh, at all. Like I try to give myself days where I'm like, okay, I'm just going to like, I'm just going to, you know, watch a few episodes of Atlanta. I'm going to. Sure. Well, that's healthy. Yeah. Yeah. I, I It's a bit of a tip I I heard from this. There's this uh, artist and animator uh, on YouTube named uh, Tonico Pantoya, where he said like his advice for like creators uh, is um, you need to treat being creative like it's a proper job. And at a job, you have weekends, you have time off, you have lunch breaks, uh, you have vacations. Like you need to give yourself time away to like recharge. Right. When you, yeah. Sorry. No, I just said I took that to heart. Yeah, absolutely. So when you do sit down to write, um, do you, when you come up with a new idea and you start banging shit out or brainstorming or whatever, it, do you know if it's going to be a comic or prose or a graphic novel? Do you, when once an idea pops into your head, do you then immediately say, Oh, I'm going to make it this, or do you kind of just start writing words and let it become a script or how does it work for you? It's usually closer to the former because um, like usually what will happen is that I'll be walking around or I'll read something in the paper or I'll, uh, be listening to a song and a scene will come to me um, or like, you know, something will just sort of get the hamster on the wheel and start spinning. And then what will happen is as I'm like 
penning it out in my head, like sort of in the outlining phase, I kind of go, this is going to have to be a novel. Like this is going to have to be, or like this is going to be a comic because like it needs to have that visual component because like with, with prose, when you're working with prose, you are leaving some things up to the reader's imagination where it's like, you know, they're sort of like filling in the blanks right. uh, along the way. Whereas like with a comic, you're dealing with stuff that's more, um, that's a little more like, you know, concrete, like the minute you draw it, it becomes real. Right. Yeah. And I guess for stories of mine where I, I definitely think that there's a very like visual component to them, like where maybe they might be, say for the sake of argument a little more action heavy something like that i would go that's comic right and that also eases you on the descriptiveness that you have to put in there right like you don't have to be quite as descriptive if you've got pictures to go along with your words obviously yeah yeah that's exactly it like when i was working with john berg and when i was working with keith uh on checkmate you know i sort of had sort of liner notes and where I said, this is kind of where I want it to go. Uh, you figure out the rest. Right. All right. Cause, yeah. Because you do have to like, you, you can't, you know, hover over the artist's shoulder and say, like, you know, make sure he's trying this angle and that angle. Like you need to give them something to play around with. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. You got to keep it open because it ends up being a, a team effort anyways. You know, that's the thing you got to learn as a comic writer is it's it's not yours from beginning to end, no matter how many passes it goes through it. You know, the second you're done writing it, whether it gets, you know, edited more or passed through more, all of a sudden there's that whole other half component that comes in there and you kind of got to let your baby go. Right. And see what someone else does with with your idea and to make this one solid idea. It's it, it's a it's one of the things I love most about comics is that it comes down to. Uh, usually a very small team having to work together and it's it's not like on a movie set and hundreds of people involved or whatever and it's not as solitary as just a novelist sitting and writing a book or a cartoonist sitting solitarily and making a cartoon comics themselves are this great you know joiner of of of, of a two maybe three four five person team and I, I love the intimacy of creation that that creates I'm using mm -hmm. the word create a lot uh let's sell some damn product as yes. a segue to what you just mentioned but you have recently released a fantastic new comic book called checkmate blues uh, a couple episodes ago as i mentioned earlier we had your artist keith grachow on the show and uh we had a good old time he actually came into the studio which was neat because he lives very very close to where my new place is which is very nice to have keith down the street uh it's very comforting it, it brings yeah. me peace in Aldershot yeah. to know Keith. Beautiful, fuzzy Keith is just down the street. Um, Absolute legend. Uh, Checkmate Blues, a story uh, once you originally had thought of it was meant to be or at least pitched uh, as a Toronto Comics story. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Um, anyone unaware the Toronto Comics Anthology, uh, three or four volumes, four or five volumes uh, they've got up to at this point. I know there was a pause over the pandemic. Um, which volume was this originally pitched for? Uh, I think it was originally for Osgood as Gold. Okay. I think, I think it was originally for that. Right on. Um, so I wanted to try and get in with uh, that one or 
whichever one David Namisato was in, it was for the one after that. Okay, I, I don't even uh, remember that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he he did he did uh, signal uh, signal delays like the first comic about like TTC um, staff fighting monsters on the right. subway. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Great yeah. story, great story. Um, shout outs to David, by the way. Um, fantastic guy. Um, but anyway, um, I wanted to be in the anthology after that one, uh, and I, I remember like this was at a time when I was just sort of like coming out of my burnout a bit and I was also like super nervous but I just remember I had this idea and another idea that I wanted to to pitch to this room full of like potential creatives um that were all like trying to get a spot uh in and uh, I remember just sort of you know getting up there and you know gurgling out both of my ideas <laughs> and uh and then just like nervously sitting back down again and eventually I was uh, told after I submitted both of the um, both of the ideas that I had that they were like, we're going to be going ahead with something else. Sorry. And uh, Checkmate Blues was the one that I felt like the strongest about. Uh, I originally wanted it to be about, as I mentioned in the, um, the afterward, I wanted it to be about the last two people uh, in Canada to be like executed. They were executed in Toronto at the draw at the Don jail. Um which is now called uh, Bridgepoint Health. And, um, but like when I just hadn't touched it in years and when I was sitting with Keith and we were looking at like stories of mine that I could like revive, like, you know, we were looking at this and, you know, one of them, you know, he, you know, shot a cop after robbing a store and the other guy um, like killed someone who was from a rival gang and then like decapitated his girlfriend. Because ah. This is... <laughs> So we were both like, yeah, these guys are awful. Like, I mean, we probably shouldn't talk about these guys. They suck. Like, so, but we just made something completely new, like from the ground up, like, you know, new setting, new characters, same core concepts of like a pair of ghosts playing chess for their souls, basically. It's awesome. Um, and, uh, created it from the from the ground up it's interesting because toronto comics anthology they used to pair people up right like you went with a submission and if the written submission got in it was afterwards that they paired you up with an artist usually right yeah yeah so checkmate blues had it been accepted could have been a completely different story with a different artist and a whole different yeah. tone it's weird to think that that kind of thing but happened but um Keith's art is it's just it's so complimentary to your story it's uh this book is almost like jazz is what yeah. it feels like you know and that's not just because of the old school influence the fact that it's what 1940s is it or earlier 40s or 50s I'd yeah. say yeah um yeah but beyond that there's just the there's a flow to it that's that's great um did you approach Keith Oh, sorry. You just said you guys were sitting and plucking out some old stuff yeah. that uh... yeah, Keith, yeah, Keith put out like an open call for like writer friends just to kind of be like, I'm looking for people to collab with. I want to know. Okay. Who's uh, and I threw my hat in and I was like, all right. I mean, because I've seen his work before and I always was um, absolutely um, spellbound by the level of detail that he had for his um, stories. Like they're, they're always very... Um, uh, they they feel very uh, alive, um, and there's something to it that's very um, like that that really drew me in. 
And I was like, I really want to work with Keith on something because, and when he put that idea out there, I immediately just, you know, rang him up. I was like, okay, I might have an idea. You, you think it's, it works, but yeah, no, like it's, a, it, it's really crazy um, because there were certain things in the script that I um, added uh, in like little things, like for instance, um, when the characters are talking over their, um, over the flashback and, you know, to, to indicate who's talking for which scene, uh, like, you know, yeah. Kay's holding, you know, this piece and uh, Arnie's holding this piece. But then there were also a lot of things that Keith threw in as well, like all these different references to the chessboard itself, like on Mitzi's dress or in the background or the tiles in the restaurant they were in and like page three. Yeah, it's subtly and trippy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was yeah. all those little things. And just every time he showed me a page and said, what do you think of this? Uh, do you got any feedback for me? And I was like, it's good. Like, I mean, Right? <laughs> Well, he was very excited. I mean, part of our conversation, we talked about the fact that this is a, this is not, this is different for him. This is not what he usually does. I mean, Keith has a very colorful, fluid style with a lot of sense of movement and texture, and it's very rich. And yeah. this was a chance for him to take that, yet mute it in a way that enabled him to have to fill that detail that he may usually, you know, sometimes use color to do with his shading and uh, you know, his grays and his blacks. And I know he had a really fun time doing that. So it, it's awesome that you wrote something that, you know, triggered something enough in him to make him want to try something that isn't his norm. Right. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, and I mean, I would gladly do it again because uh, Keith is great for bouncing ideas off of because um, you know especially when we were in the planning phases you know there were certain things that we would say like sitting to each other we would say like definitely got, like this is where like it makes sense for the story to to lead to uh, and maybe there's certain things that we can do along the way and it was always like really fun like I, I heard that episode too by the way um, great great talk between you and Keith right um, on and uh yeah, it, it was really funny, like, you know, certain things that came up when we were talking. I remember Keith said, Robert, you got to you got to put in a car chase somewhere in there. And I was like, all right, like, <laughs> here you go. Fine. Right. Awesome. It's uh, it's set up in a way that, you know, I could see it continuing, not necessarily with the two main characters of this story. But you have now created the structure of a world where you could continue. I'm trying not to spoil it too much, too. Um, but you know, there's that obvious main important character, uh, that is kind of, you know, the real one moving all the pieces behind the scenes at the end of the book who you could easily continue that trend with, like, you know, just another story with another couple of ghosts, you know, having to play chess over their situation. Um, so I don't know if that's what you're thinking, but I could easily see that continuing. So sort of an anthology sort of thing, but you know. Yeah, I guess just for me, um, I never like it when a story gets a little long in the tooth. Right. Yeah. Uh, I've always had this thing, like even with a lot of the TV shows that I, I watch, I sort of hit a point where I have to sort of artificially create an ending, I guess, where it's like I get to like the end of like a certain season and I'll say this feels enough like an ending that I can stop. Cut off. And, yeah. 
Yeah, just cut off, just walk away. I don't care. There's lots of shows I should have done that with, probably. (laughs) I I did that with, like, Community and Orange is the New Black and, like, a bunch of other things where I was just like, okay, season three, final season. What do you mean there's four more seasons after this? I didn't see them. Yeah, I'm good. That that was enough story for me, right? Exactly. So that's where that's always something that I'm very conscious with with a lot of my, um, with a lot of my writings, where it's like, if maybe if there's enough interest, and I, if Keith and I are sort of looking at certain components of this, that maybe we could do this with a couple of these characters. Um, maybe maybe not the same story, but set in the same universe. But I'm not ruling it out. I re- but I but it is one of those things where it's like I I'm gonna have to want to come back to it, right? Oh, of course, yeah, 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 yeah. Don't do it just to do it. Do it if you want to do it, absolutely. But I'd love to see like more chess battles being held between different souls for different reasons. You know, that'd be kind of cool to see because you've set up this awesome concept now. But that is the cool thing about this is this is a one shot presently, so anybody can pick this up and just enjoy it as it is. Um, yeah. You know. Uh, so the actual printing and distribution, what is the situation there? What's the team like? Who did you use? Who's, uh, who's all involved? We used used Copywell for, uh, printing. As far as distribution goes, it's basically just whenever Keith, uh, or I, or both of us can get set up at like a, a store or an event or something. Uh, we leave a couple of copies, um, in our wake and then we, uh, and then we just move on to the next location. Like, cause you know, I know Keith is hitting up a bunch of different events, you know, this month and stuff. Um, I'm going to try and see if I can get us in at a couple more stores. Um, I am going to try and see if I can, I'm, I'm going to be in New York in a couple of weeks. So uh, I'm not doing a lot of moving around right now, um, but definitely I'm think. but I am trying to get in at like, you know, certain stores and things. Uh, but that's about it as far as that goes. I don't know if there's any plans for us to release this in like IDW or like a big anthology or something. I mean, I would love to see if there's anyone out there that would love to like pick it up as is. Oh yeah, you're you're muted. I think you. There we go. Yeah, move it around, man. See what people are are, are saying because you know, yeah. I, I I would love to see this book get around. I had a lot of fun with this, man. This was a super cool idea, and there's not a lot of this unique fun stuff out there, you know. And the best part was, it's the surprise ending you are not expecting, and. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not going to say any more than that. It's a surprise ending that you're not expecting, but you'll be very, very kind of pleased with, surprisingly. I, I will say, without giving away the, without giving up the game, as it were, Yeah. Uh, when Keith and I knew where the story was going, we both kind of had this moment where we were just like, yeah, there's no other way it could go. Yeah, right. But you got close. You, you you took it so close to the wire there. And then very last second, you pulled it back. And uh, yeah, it was very, very well executed uh, indeed. So kudos on you guys. You've created a heck of a story here. It's good times indeed. Thank you. Um, checkmate blues, kids. Uh, I guess you'll have to check around town. And, yeah. uh, you know. Do you have... Uh- pdf on my kofi if anyone wants to buy it there but if you want the physical copy you got to hunt around right 
we got to get some of these on the tables. Get them out at uh, Gotham and such. You hear me, Carlos? Uh, you got to put a <laughs> couple coming. of these on the table. Um, do you have any appearances lined up or anything coming up uh, in any of the shows happening? No, no. <laughs> I mean, no. I don't really. I don't. Really you are horrible at self promotion. We got to work on this for you. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't really, also, I don't really table at a lot of like the big conventions and stuff. I remember helping out, you know, a couple of people. Um, and it's always been sort of daunting, especially if you're doing a show like fan expo or whatever. Right. Sure. Of course it is. Yeah. Cause, yeah. cause like, especially cause like with that, right. You're dealing with people that have already spent like 40, $50 to get in and they're coming in to buy more stuff. Oh, see, you're not, you're not giving yourself enough worth there, my friend. Mm. You and your creations are worth a lot more than that. Your hard work alone is worth a lot more than that. They pay for the privilege to buy your stuff. That is the way. No, that's the way you need to look at it. That's what a Comic-Con is. People look at it the wrong way. They look at it like, oh, I got to pay all this money just to get in, and then I got to buy everything on top of it. Well, you couldn't buy any of that stuff if you didn't pay to get to it. It's not like people are just, you know have stores and this and that people got to make a living and spend money to get there, you know? So, um, but I'm proud of you boys for, uh, making a real fine comic book over here. Um, I may be a little bit biased because it's absolutely right up my alley. It's, it's 1940s. It's, it's gangsters. It's gangster talk. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's suspenseful drama. It's, it's, it's incredibly toned. Like, I don't even know how to describe what Keith did here, but he did something quite beautiful because this book, um, it's not black and white. It's kind of gray tone and black. You'd have to more call it uh, with like some bluish kind of hues in there and stuff, but it's just so full. Keith, Keith, he so fills out the page. Every panel feels so lush, you know, and uh, you know, your words are, are it it's also set up like were the word bubbles him or who did the lettering that was all him that That was was all him eh so yeah this is actually this book is also a really good example of an artist who has also been a writer in the past um Mm -hmm. knowing how to place word balloons and dialogue really really well like uh i'm just looking at the pages right here and the layout because you guys didn't go with very typical, like you went with typical tri- or like rectangle word balloons. Like it's all rectangles, but they're they're split up. It's it's easy to read in the way that like a lot of these I could have seen a lot of other people just putting all into one big giant kind of paragraph. Yeah. Um, but no, Keith here, like I'm looking at one panel that's got three of its own rectangles. Like everyone has several. There's either two or three, bang, two, three, bang, two, four, three. It's not like big long wordy paragraphs that are hard to follow. You know, yeah. it's 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 like staccatoed in a way that I really like. Yeah, there was a rule for comic writing that I remember hearing uh years ago where it there was something along the lines of don't put more than 25 words in a word bubble or in a um or in like a narrative box. Cause if you do that, then it's just going to, it's going to completely overwhelm the page. Right. Um, because like, as you said, you just have a massive paragraph over here. Um, and it's not like split up at all. It's just going to take away from, you know, the art, like the way you want to lay it out is you want it. Like, it's even if a character is doing a big monologue, I think it just makes more sense to sort of 
split that monologue up so that your eye is following their thoughts through the scene, like bit by bit, right? So if it's like a, a Batman page, for instance, where he's, you know, standing on the edge of a, a building and talking about, you know, the 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 rain slick cobblestones below or whatever. Um, and then it's him jumping down. So like you, you don't just have like you don't just have that huge slab like you know you kind of jump around with him right 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 perfect so sense. sense yeah uh all right then kids that's checkmate blues robert it's been far too long we should have had you on the show years ago my friend um all that other stuff where is it available at all can i read this stuff like all your old like uh what was the magazine called sploosh um, splunk yeah schlock <laughs> sorry schlock magazine schlock no um i know like alchemy press and long hidden uh a couple of my other things are sort of floating around uh i know long hidden is available actually in the toronto public libraries oh so you can actually find copies of it there Interesting. Uh, yeah. Uh, actually, I signed the copy of Long Hidden that's in the Merrill collection at Spadina and... Um, oh, neat. Spadina and College, I think it is. Right on. Because they have it like, right there. And I sort of showed my ID. And I was like, I wrote one of these. And they handed me a pen and I scribbled my name right in there. Nice. That's um, cool, man. Yeah. But some of the other anthologies, like uh, Quick Shivers about bugs uh, by Daily Nightmares and Stories of Music by Timber Press. I think they're still available on their websites. Otherwise, you might have to dig around Amazon or something. What I do want to do with a lot of my old short stories, though, is I want to do a collection. Yeah. Yeah, I do want to do a collection. And I also kind of want to rewrite, like, I want to, like, rewrite them a little bit just to kind of, because, I mean, I look at them now, like I, I have some of these sitting right next to me and every now and again, I'll, I'll flip through and I go, oh, I, I hate that sentence. I really wish I could fix that. And it's like, well, the copyright has reverted to me. So if I ever decide to like, you know, put this in the book, I can just do like a little quick revision, not to rewrite the entire story, but just kind of go, I don't know how I feel about this sentence and just go correct it. Right, right. That's awesome, man. I'd love that. I'd love to sit down because I want to catch up. So if you do have any links available to anything that do exist online, um, send them to me and I will put them on the site and stuff and people can check that shit out because uh, I'd love to read more, man, because I don't know this. This may be the first and only thing I've ever actually been able to get my hands on by you to read. Is there anything else I would have? I gave you, I think I gave you the the books I did with uh, John Berg, uh, Will You Come Again in the Constant Screaming of Albrecht Lieberman. I must. Like, I think I gave that to you, like maybe, it was, it was, there was that big launch show at the raid party for Cauldron. Yes, you totally did. I gotta, I gotta dig through my indie box, my Canadian indie box here and uh, pull that out, make sure that I give it a read if I may not have. Um. Fantastic, dude. Uh, like I say, about time. Um, Goddamn time. We've been talking about doing this for five years. Yeah, I've been talking to a lot of people, so you have to forgive me about doing it for probably <laughs> longer than five years. But uh, like I say, a pandemic, that was a rough time. We didn't do a lot of shows during that. Um, hard summer, but uh, we're back, kids. We're rolling along. 
Uh, we're kicking it. We're bringing everything back that we can and trying to make this weapon burn as brightly as it ever has before. And if we continue to have wonderful guests like you, sir, I don't think we'll have any problems doing that. Uh, this is Robert Ivanyuk. Ivanyuk, you got Ivanyuk. it. Ivanyuk, nice. Very, very good. I'm working on things. It, it only took me like eight years to get Gratchow right. <laughs> um, so, uh, but yes, Keith Gratchow and Robert, Robert Ivanyuk uh, have created Checkmate, Checkmate Blues, kids. Get out there. Uh, find it somewhere. Uh, get your hands on it. Um, I know that Keith is going to be with our other good friend, Mark Bertinelli, pushing their book uh, this coming Sunday at the Mississauga Comic Expo. I don't know if he has any copies himself of this available. Um, if he does, he should bring them there too. So people can get their hands on shit. Cause how are people going to read their book? If read your book, if they can't get it, man, I so. will also just like give like a quick uh, promo for myself. Uh, if anyone wants to see like the main turnpike for my stuff, uh, I have a Kofi page. Um, the, that is a uh, Robert is lost in the wires. I'll send it to, I'll send it to Jay after the show, but I've got digital copies of checkmate blues on that as well as the book. I did oh, with John Berg. Perfect. I have a I have a PDF of my novel that I self-published during the pandemic. Um, that's a separate podcast, by the way. Um, and uh, I've also got like a digital art project and some other stuff, and also links to my WordPress page, like on on there. Yeah, so you've been you doing that to, blog for a long time, haven't you? I've been doing that blog for a long time. I restarted writing it during the pandemic, and uh, my older articles were a little clunkier. Um, I edited them like during the pandemic, just so they were a little smoother and also were, you know, more in line with my current thinking. Right. But like starting from around a year or two ago, I've been on my WordPress, like talking about, talking about comics, talking about anime, talking about like things in the world that, you know, fascinate or bother me. Um, and, uh, so if you wanted to read any of that, or if you just wanted to pop over, drop a donation, grab a couple of PDFs for yourself. Hit me up. Right on. Right on. I'm excited to do some reading. Um, you are a fine, upstanding gentleman, sir. Um, I am also to pass on to you the regards of one Aaron, the creator of my child, uh, my co-creator in life. Uh, that would be Aaron Castle. She said, oh, Robert, say hello to him. Um, she has always enjoyed having conversations with you at the shows and at my after parties, uh, enough so that your conversations with her have stuck out. To her, so I pass along her goodwill, and uh, anybody who has just listened to this conversation knows that she's right. So that was a blast, and thank you so much, sir, for taking the time to come and hang out with us. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm looking forward to you know other adventures down. The Absolutely, line. hands down. Are you going to come by the Indie Fest at Gotham Central on the 29th? The 29th. I'm going to try. Uh, Gotham Central Kids Comic and Collectibles will be having a Indie Fest on Saturday, October 29th. There'll be 20 plus uh, creators there in attendance, tabling. There'll be costume contests, raffles, all that good stuff. It's an annual event that goes down. So everybody should come out and uh, party it up with us. I'll be there hosting some uh, good time, fun games and conversations and all this good stuff. So there you go. Um, Roberts, uh, good luck in the future and congratulations on a fantastic comic book, sir. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Kids, that is all we are going to have this week on An Elegant Weapon. Take it easy.
Take it easy. Hehehe. <laughs>